Hello and welcome to Info Black Archive, the podcast where we're attempting to get through all of the Doctor episodes. Yes, even all the classic ones, the black and white ones, so don't worry, we'll be here for a while, so you get to know us. And you won't just be getting to know me, of course, you'll also be getting to know our amazing co-host throughout this journey, James Stevenson. This very long journey. Evening, everybody. Uh, this is Into the Black Archive. Sorry, not evening. It could be any time in the world when you listen to this. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And for us, just so you know why we're constantly mildly on the edge of delusion, um, we always seem to end up recording this at half eleven. This week very is late. particularly bad because I only had three hours of sleep last night. So who knows what I'm going to end up editing out of this tomorrow morning. We're going to be on the edge of sanity uh, this evening, much like we were two episodes ago, uh, <laughs> but for different reasons, uh, because we're both tired. We've had very busy weeks. Um, Owen, as he said, has been at work six in the morning. I put this big edit out on Monday, this big project, and I'm still kind of recovering from that. So we're both on fumes a little bit, but you should enjoy the madness. Yeah, it basically means for more you listen to this, for more man as we're going to go and by the end of it you can probably hear us just snoring in our chairs but before we get to that stage we are reviewing episode five of season one of doctor who the aztecs although it's actually episode six because we lost one of them but yes it's the fifth one that we have so that's why we're calling it five yeah before we get into any of that deep stuff about the episode so we we record these normally on a Sunday, which means in the UK we've just had one of the big blockbuster dramas, probably the best of the most popular ones in years. I think its debut yes last year, season six, um, season six, yeah, got uh, ten million views on its opening night. It was the most busy, most popular drama in seven years. Line of Duty. Do you watch it, James? It's it's a big show, isn't it? I have to say, Owen, I don't watch Line of Duty. I feel very much in the minority of people these days that don't. It seems like everyone does now. As a sh- as a screenwriter, you don't watch Line of Duty. I I'll tell you why. Because Line of Duty came out a few years ago, and it wasn't initially on my radar, and it's been kind of a sleeper hit, hasn't it? It's only really reached. It was initially on BBC Two. Hmm. And now it's reached this gargantuan level of popularity mainly because it's a Jed Mercurio drama and Jed Mercurio is pretty much king and throne holder of British drama now it's only really police drama though isn't it yeah but with the viewing figures both this and bodyguard have got it doesn't matter what genre it is this is yeah absolutely huge numbers especially today I mean getting 10 million for anything in the UK is rare even if it's like a big sporting event like the fa cup final doesn't get Mm. 10 million viewers i think this police drama does i think even classic doctor who when it was only four channels rarely got 10 million yeah and that was in a in an era where more and more people watched television and we didn't have what netflix amazon prime and youtube to distract us we didn't even have sky or satellite channels or anything like that they just didn't exist yeah this is 10 million viewers for a drama is an astronomical yeah. number today but, but yeah the reason i don't watch it is sorry the reason i don't watch it is because by the time i'd really heard about it and realized that it might be something i should watch it was about four seasons in five seasons in and i thought i find myself really busy all the time mm. so i realized oh well if i watch it i'm gonna have to dig through all the other five seasons because i don't want to be 
lost doing the series and feel like there's, I don't know characters. There's a lot of throwbacks. Um, like there's a child, not to go too far in spoilers, but there's a child in episode one who has come back as an adult in this season. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff which is really cool, but I would want to know that. Yeah, you you wouldn't know who this who significant of this new copper is unless you knew that his intro. Yeah. But the thing which which amuses me with this one at the moment, I think we're going to have this when the new season of Doctor Who comes out, is that it's all filmed during COVID. So it means I'm just enjoying watching, see, seeing all the clever camera trickery they've done to try to avoid showing the fact which all the actors are two metres apart. I think the fact they've been able to do it COVID-wise, considering the kind of budget this series has and the level of expectation and interest in it mm. is really impressive. I think we were saying before we even started in the Black Archive, this will show us what drama can do even with, with COVID since it's such a big production, which everyone loves. BBC puts all of their time and money into it. So if they can do it, it means others should be able to do it on a smaller scale. Because the first one's yeah. really to release a drama which was filmed this way, excluding sitcoms and uh, your soaps and things like that, which can kind of get away with cheaping out on it. Yeah, with with soaps, there are multiple production tricks you can pull because realistically, soaps are just interior takes. But mm. with with a big budget police drama, there's really nowhere to hide because you will see the money on the screen, especially if you've got big set pieces, if you've got car chases or murder scenes or big investigations going on where you have to close off bits of maybe even close off monuments to really mm. show it off you have to put the money on the screen with the police drama. So it's really impressive that they've been able to do it. And also as well with soaps, of course, since they run daily, well, close to daily, you can very easily just set, put it in for narrative. There's COVID here, which I think is what yeah. half, what all of them have done. EastEnders, Arendelle, all that lot, Holby City, have all gone just straight up went, oh, we're currently suffering through COVID. So instantly they've got an excuse for half the cast to stay two metres away from each other and wear masks. Yeah, and it works for soaps because, I'm sorry, I'm going to get nerdy here. I do do Mm. this every couple of episodes. Soaps are meant to exist in a heightened dramatic reality. The soap is a melodrama in and of itself. That's the genre. So they can more than happily use COVID. With a police drama, it's more up for debate as to why you'd want to use it dramatically. And if you don't, then you don't. So I think just twisting this back onto some sort of relevance to this podcast... How do you think they're going to be able to do it with Doctor Who? Because obviously they're filming currently. They did. They were spotted in Liverpool last week doing filming. Yes, and I know a, I know a few people who went to the set actually. Um, yeah. I've, so I've heard a few things from behind the scenes on how they're filming New Who. It all looks pretty COVID compliant. I've seen Jodie's pretty much got a mask on at all times when she's not doing takes. Yeah, I think so her... It's all as secure as can be. I've... I'm imagining here, um, well, I know which two of them are. I know Jodie and whoever plays Yaz. I've completely forgotten the actress's name. I'm uh, sorry. Mandy, is it Mandy Gill? Yes, I, I think say. so. They, I'm fairly sure those two are in a bubble, and I imagine John Bishop is also in a bubble with those two. I would I would expect that. I don't know, obviously, what the deal is yeah. involving their internal production, but I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, on the most basic level for Doctor Who, you wouldn't be able to get people going to the TARDIS. Yeah. That's just not possible. I say what I've been interested in, just looking at some of the behind the scenes shots and yeah. clips that I've seen off the set, is why they're using Liverpool. Because I think 
I think they're using Liverpool for two very separate reasons at once, which mm-hmm. is clever to minimise travel, which will help for COVID reasons. Um, is it looks like they're going to use bits of sort of residential Liverpool to be where John Bishop's new character is from. Because let's mm-hmm. face it, John Bishop cannot do another voice. So you're going to have to set him. <laughs> yes. He's going to have to come from Liverpool. But you can't avoid that. thing you need to remember, though, is that John Bishop was casted before COVID. Yeah. So it's not all to do with COVID for Liverpool location. Oh, no, no, I don't think it is. I just think that COVID has adapted the way they maybe have used it. Because I was yeah. seeing images, they're using... Um, do you know about... There's like an art museum in Liverpool that's on the Albert Dock, uh, which is like mm-hmm. a quite space-agey, modern-looking building. I've been there a couple times. It's really nice. Yeah. Um, And they've been using that for a few location shots. And I'm thinking they might be using that for some kind of planet. That's, that's my feeling. Yeah. It's got that kind of really modern, sleek... You could see that in a kind of future, new earthy kind of look. Mm. It, so I wonder whether they're using it that way as well. COVID must make booking um, interior locations like museums very easy because they all have to be shut. Uh, yeah, I think they were shooting exterior from what yeah. I saw. I don't think they even went inside the building. Um, and there may even be restrictions if they can film inside the building because of. No, because I think staff can't. Staff and people who employ can, hence why I'm allowed to go in my shop where I work. Because I'm yeah. being paid to be there. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I didn't see them filming inside, but I know they were definitely filming yeah. at the location on the dock. Yeah. Oh, it's all exciting. I'm glad it's in production. And in case you were wondering as well, we we are going to when New Who comes out, we are going to stop with the classic and move on to the New Who temporarily, and then switch back again once it's on. Yeah, we will finish. jump because we want to be current with uh, what Jody is doing. I just hope they write a better series. To be honest, uh, I have uh, hope. I was thinking about that the other day. It, I don't. I know if we have our disagreements on New Who, we do. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're probably going to disagree with me on this. The stories aren't bad; it's the characters. No, I agree with you on that. If you look at the individual good stories, every season has got bad stories, so we can ignore the terrible ones, like Orphan yeah. Fifty Five. Every series has those. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at Kablam, that's very good. If you look at the Jadoon one, that one there was very good. I think the stories themselves are good. It's when it gets to individual characters. It's when they, the, the series characters, that's when they get a little bit muddy. I mean, I know I have I know I went on a rant about um, the, the Chibnall characters a couple episodes back. And I won't go on a rant again because I've done it before. So there's no need to. Yeah. But with if you've got a story, you can have all of like the the smart clever things that you want and you can put all the twists in there and it can be this beautifully paced and well orchestrated narrative and i've done it before where i've written something that i've thought oh yeah this is really well orchestrated like there's bits moving mm. in the right places it's like a nice fine-tuned cog fact is if your characters aren't good um it doesn't matter <laughs> the, yeah the that's, characters i think are the story i think that's why why for stories which he has which we've got can feel a bit empty it's just because for people who are experiencing them are a bit empty i think the stories are good it's just that side of it yeah the writing is the writing is very functional i think on who it's fine mm. it's just the characters they're writing i they're just flat hopefully now which they've got the two legacy characters in the doctor and yaz because they now relatively speaking are now built up and now they've got john bishop it means they can focus more on john bishop's character so they can yeah. build him up a bit more rather than just going for what 
they essentially tried to do four characters at once, character building wise. Yes, and realistically, they didn't build any of them. I don't even feel like Yaz is even very well built after two series. I think she was slightly more built than the other two, but I don't that know. I wasn't think, saying much. I think Graham was the most built out of all of them. I think Graham worked almost exclusively on the reason that people like Bradley Walsh. I, I think Bradley Walsh makes up 90% of what people like about that. I disagree. But I think with half we're, we're 15 minutes into this, we need to stop arguing about this and go on to the other episode. <laughs> we'll cut a lot of this. It's fine. So, okay. so Aztecs, what did you think? Do you know, I actually had one more point about New Who I really wanted to talk about before okay. we move on to Aztecs, because I think it is important and it is quick. Because they're bringing in John Bishop, Mm-hmm. as a new character and they've really only got one to introduce i honestly feel like he's going to be make or break for chibnall now yeah i really think there's pressure on because that character has to be good yeah because he's got no excuse now for there being an overfilled tardif which he needs to completely write from scratch realistically this is almost a soft reboot if if the character is good and let's mm. face it john bishop is likable enough that he's going to add a lot to that anyway but how does he have the acting experience I do you know what I don't know. I have a feeling John Bishop's probably he's he's got a performance background, which will obviously yeah. help. But whether that gets into, I'm willing to be surprised. I, I think if yeah. if John Bishop turns out to be very very good, I'm going to be very happy about it. I have no stigma against a comedian doing the role. It's fine. I mean, Bradley Walsh did a good job with what he had. Catherine Tate did an amazing job. She's like regarded as some yeah. people's best favorite companions, even throughout the classics. Yeah, I loved Honor massively. So it works. It is just to do with whether the character is written well. Yeah. He just has to be a likable character because I think he's had two series now yeah. where there's really not been a character in the show. I, I don't even think this Doctor is a strong character. That's that's the worry. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on this. Yeah. That was my point. Yeah. Shall we go <laughs> Yeah, shall we, shall, yeah, we, shall we go on to the topic at hand? We're, we're 16 minutes into this. You no can problem. tell how much I've cut by by how, how where we are, where you're listening at. <laughs> Jeez. So, as okay, Aztecs, did you like it? Yes. What about you? I really liked it. I thought the pacing was perfect. I like the pacing. I I think it's a really good story and the four parts is about bang on and you can tell why doctor who moves towards four parts for pretty much everything later on because it works and you've just stolen that point from me you point oh were you gonna make that point i I told you that i told you that point before we started recording (laughs) owen owen we we were gonna start recording two hours ago you've you've said a lot of things (laughs) i do apologize but yeah no it is correct you can tell which which that is for length they went with for a reason it is because even with say daleks which i think we both enjoyed we but also mm. both said it was too long i think keys of maris just about got away with it because it was essentially four short stories but you can definitely see where four episodes works better yeah i think with with marinus last week mm. you had a story that worked in parts like you say because things changed so they almost functioned as mini episodes in themselves whereas with this with aztecs it is one continual story with not a lot of change so there's only so much i think you can do before it starts to get tiresome yeah because i know you disagree with this phrasing they sort of cheated with the um pacing in the last 
cereal. Mm. I would say cheated. I, I would say they used slightly different ways around it. Yeah. So let's jump in how we normally do. What did you think about the characters we had? Well, I would love it if we started on Barbara. This yes, one, this, because this is her episode, isn't it? Let's be honest. This is where Barbara finally... Like we were saying about Marinus, this was like, oh, this is a great Ian episode and Ian's great yeah. in this. Barbara is terrific because for the first time, I think, in the whole show, even with Ian, actually, um, this is an episode that draws very much on the character's background as a teacher. And also, I I don't know if, about you, this is the first time I really felt comfortable being with them. Yeah, yeah, I, I could go with that. Because they've always sort of been, especially Barbara, she's always been sort of 2D. But now, but especially at some points when she snapped at the the priests and the people around her, we saw a different side to her where she you can see her being a teacher. She is, she can be strong when needed. Barbara, I think our criticisms about Barbara are pretty much gone from the first couple of episodes where, like you say, she seemed a bit two-dimensional. And just felt like, oh, you know, this is a female character in the 1960s. You don't expect a lot of depth mm. because of the way things were at the time. But this episode, she really comes alive. And there's so many great moments where you do see different dimensions to her. I particularly enjoyed, while we're talking about this, because the plot of the sort of serial is that they go to the Aztecs and the Aztecs essentially think that Barbara is a reincarnation of the sun god or something like that. Yeah, of a god. I don't think it was ever clarified what god. Yeah, a god of some kind. Yeah. And so they give her, shower her with gifts like you would if a god came down and um, and said hi. Uh, but she tries to use that to stop uh, the Aztecs doing sacrifices, which is a key part of their religion. And the Doctor it, obviously advises against this. It's the first time really where the Doctor starts going on about key points in time, which you cannot change. Yeah, it's the first time that ever gets mentioned, I think. But Barbara is very much, no, I killing people is wrong. It's like, well, yeah, killing yeah. people is wrong. You're right. But it's not wrong to them. And this is a completely different world. It's when you start playing what ifs. Yes, what if they stop killing? But what does that then result into? Hmm. And how does that then affect future generations when they learn this was different? And all that stuff. One little thing can spin everything out of keep Kinker. Yeah, but that was that was when I really enjoyed Barbara was when she was saying no, I I can't not do that mm. because it's it's that human side to her that comes out and it shows the difference which I've always liked in Doctor Who, which kind of exposes how alien the Doctor actually is. Yeah. I've, however, I've just thought of this. Ian sort of like we've said particularly in Daleks, Ian sort of like the ethical ethics person, ethical person about it all. Did he feel like, did to you, did it feel like he cared enough about people dying? In this episode, I feel like Ian was a little bit blindsided. I mean, he had his own story. He ends up being trained as a warrior. Yes. Which is an interesting one for him. Uh, with Ixter. Um, yeah. But that feels like a kind of real side plot, and he's not getting involved in the ethics too much. Mm. He's just trying to do his role in the job for the team to get out of there. And then when it comes to the Doctor, he essentially spends the entire episode romancing a uh, woman. 
I'm, I'm not going yeah. to put it any blunt uh, any other way because that's essentially what happens. Well, I wouldn't say he's the one that does the romancing. He meets he meets this lovely, lovely woman, Kamika. Yeah. In a sort of garden area where older people in the civilization are just sort of put to not do much and wait mm. for death, basically. Um, and he meets her and they chat. They impart knowledge. They impart knowledge. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> they impart knowledge. I'm going to use that in other contexts now. <laughs> just, just someone says, "Oh yeah, I've uh, you know I've been chatting to somebody. Oh, that's nice. Did you uh, impart any knowledge? Exactly. Copyright Owen Cranston. <laughs> Didn't impart any knowledge. <laughs> uh, and what ends up happening is, you know, the doctor's very, very nice. She, he thinks she's a lovely lady, and so do we. Uh, but she has slightly different views of uh, our will and ends up giving him a love potion and he takes it, what? which is a sign of a proposal. Wasn't the love potion, though, essentially a hot chocolate? Basically, yes. <laughs> it was just, ooh, cocoa beans, very nice. You could drink that. It's just, it's hot chocolate love potion is what it is. <laughs> and by taking it, he proposes to the woman, which he did not so intend to do. So essentially, if an Aztec comes up to you with a hot chocolate, make sure you refuse. Yes. Now, hot chocolate is lovely in most other contexts. Actually, I say that. I'm not the biggest fan of hot chocolate, and I don't know why. But yeah, just don't take it from these pyramid folks, because they will put you into a binding love contract, and you don't want to be in that. Yeah. Unless you want to. That's a person who got entered into a binding love contract nearly was Susan. Now, yeah, let's yeah, let's chat about Susan because she effectively has the least to do. Do you know why? Enlighten me, because I'm quite interested now you said that. Um, for the two two centre episodes, two middle episodes, she was on holiday. Ah, uh, yeah. Everything which they showed of her was taped in advance. That makes perfect sense, and it is why she barely turns up in parts two and three. Because her in two yeah. and three, basically, she's taken to the seminary at the end of episode one when she defies the Aztec law when they're about to make the sacrifice. So we don't see her too yeah. much, do we? Uh, we basically no. just see her getting taught Aztec laws and beliefs. And then when they go on about yeah. saying, you know, when a husband chooses you, and she immediately responds to that going, there's no way <laughs> that I am uh, taking the husband that I'm given. I'll choose myself. And then, and then the husband is chosen for her. Yes, which leads to exciting conflict. Yes. But I like I so, liked how they did it. Yeah. I think Susan came across really strongly in those bits, more so than she did maybe throughout the entire Marinus. Where she really just sort of had a job to scream for a lot of it. Yeah. Less screaming from her this so time, that was nice. We're 25 minutes in, so we're massively running over, but we can ignore that. <laughs> yeah, we'll edit. Let's go in. Let's go into the plot. Was there anything which you really wanted to mention? I... Actually, we haven't even done a summary yet. You... Oh, episode. my word. Owen. Yeah, this is what happened. This is when, what happens yeah. when we're half asleep. When we're delusional on a, on a, <laughs> on the night that we record this. So, Owen, according to Black Archive tradition, what happens in the Aztecs in 60 seconds? Go. <laughs> so, if the Doctor and his crew turn up in, on an Aztec pyramid, temple 
burial type place. Barbara puts on a bracelet where she then gets mistaken by a, to be a god. She's then given those retreats and and what else happens? Um... <laughs> this is unbelievable. There's a whole <laughs> there's a sacrifice going on. There's oh, yes. a um, they. They attempt to perform sacrifices for her, but she refuses, which gets them both them all into a lot of trouble. Um, Ian becomes a fighter where he somehow is very good at fighting and a fighter, fighter who's been training for many years. The Doctor enters into some sort of marriage agreement. Susan enters into some sort of marriage agreement. There's lots of killing and there, well, almost killing. Lots of it nearly stops. Uh, can the Doctor and his crew get out in time by going for a sewer? That is a terrible him- summary. But <laughs> what I <laughs> what I find impressive is that whole hundred minutes of the Aztec serial is essentially four people trying to figure out how to open a door. This is something which I was going to mention to you. Have you noticed every episode so far we've had? They've never been there willingly. That is always trying to find a way to get into the TARDIS and take off. Yeah, they they don't have any sort. Of urge to adventure like we do currently where they go into these areas and then solve problems there's more they land and they get screwed over and then they have to try to solve a problem you just have to wonder you know these these folks who now seem fairly fine with traveling have they slept yet they did in our favorite episode oh yeah they did but but not very much i mean what they got picked up in the middle of the night back at the start of this series they haven't had much time they're popping around from from planet to planet Actually, no. They did. They did show Ian sleeping in this episode. It's yeah, lots going on. Uh, but but you are right in saying that they just kind of get stuck. It almost makes you think: uh, Do they ever go anywhere for nice reasons, or do they just turn up and go? Well, how are we getting f- this time, lads? Yeah, because I think first one they obviously run into issue with cavemen. Second one for Dalek steelway thingy, which Vitalis needs to take off. Um, what's the next one after that? We have oh, the, the Edge of Sanity. Uh, edge of Destruction, where they're essentially just stuck in Vitardis anyway. Um, then we've got Marco Polo, where the, we didn't cover it, but I have a rough idea of the plot. Vitardis essentially gets taken by a Chinese warlord, I think. Um, happens a lot. And then we had Keys of Marius, where Vitardis is placed inside the force field. And then we have this one here, where Vitardis goes into a tomb, and they can't get into the tomb. Yes, the TARDIS is stuck in a tomb, which they can't access, uh, which just leads basically, okay, but I mean, the Doctor, while he's romancing, is trying to secure information about how the tomb was created, if there are any, like, trapdoors in, sewers, potentially. But now now we've got in, uh, let's let's talk about what happens in order. So they get in, not Sandra... Sandra? (laughs) Who's Sandra? (laughs) Barbara, you mean. I think you can tell we're half asleep. We're already half oh all the way my through. Word. <laughs> so, so I'll I'll fill in. I'll fill in. So Barbara, um, finds a bracelet while she's looking through a couple of artifacts, and that leads to her being mistaken for a god by a group of Aztecs. Uh, the main characters you want to know from the Aztec group uh, include Ortlock. So he's this high priest of knowledge. Yeah. Basically, he's like a spiritual advisor, controls things, good idea of the law kind of guy. But he's also quite progressive. He's willing to listen mm-hmm. to what Barbara's saying, basically. And then on the flip side of that, you've got... Oh, I have to remember how to pronounce it. 
Latoxel? <laughs> yeah. Um, he was told, apparently by the director, just make children hate you. And he did one hell of a job, did uh, did Latoxel, because yes. he is almost a religious fanatic, in a sense, um, who gets immediately on to Barbara about her being a false god. Yeah. And tries to foil her and everyone else at every turn. Uh, by trying to kill everyone, mainly. Including Ian, mostly, who nearly dies a couple of times. This is something as well which I was going to mention. I sort of mentioned it in the synopsis. So Ian gets put into, essentially, a f- join for fighting section of, of this group. How the hell did he manage to... They they had a hand-on-hand, one-on-one combat, where they attempted to... One of them attempted to kill Ian. Ian surprisingly hold, held his own. He's supposed to be a science teacher. Now, the reason I'm going to let this slide is that you can always use the classic example of but Ian knows modern fighting techniques. But either way, he's been this other guy's been training for like six years. It's going to be stronger. Yeah, I. it was a sticking point in this episode. It's one of the things I do have against it, which is, do you really expect me to believe? Like, Ian has shown he's got a bit of macho-ness about him. Yeah. That's fine. But... It's a big leap to suddenly say, you know, Ixter has been training for six years to be in command. The whole thing is that he's in command. The next thing you know, school teacher from the 1960s arrives um, yeah. as a god's servant. And they go, yeah, what about this guy? And he casually beats him in hand-to-hand combat. Uh, no, well, he doesn't, <laughs> that isn't believable. He doesn't, he doesn't beat him in hand-to-hand combat because for... Do- Trick gets tricked into giving Ixter a way of beating Ian. Mm, which is a poison de- delved from a plant, derived from a plant. Yes, by a fawn. So if he puts scratches Ian with this fawn, Ian will go to sleep. Let me try and go through what we've got and just yeah. to see what we haven't covered. Yeah. So back on Ian, just briefly, and yeah. his whole how did he beat the fighter. The, the fight scene in general, uh, towards the start, it's just so slow. That's. I don't think I actually put that. I guess I did put it in our notes. It's so slow. Like I understand why it's done that way because of, they're having to manually cut cameras for all of these things. But my God, does it go on? It's, it's for, very what, ponderous. It's for one bit of pacing which just just isn't there. It shoots the it shoots the momentum of the episode absolutely stone dead. But not only that, there's just weird camera choices. Like in that, in the fight scene involving the thorn. Yeah. When he gets pricked, it's like, okay, the classic thing to do is, oh, he gets pricked, do a close up of where he's been pricked, sell it to the audience. What they do is they just get Ian to, to sort of casually walk up to the camera, like, hey, look at my wrist, I'm done. <laughs> it's unbelievable. The issue there is that these cameras they're using cannot zoom. Yeah, so they're stuck moving towards it. But yeah, then I'm thinking to myself, well, why don't you do this in post of the scene and do it in a different setup? It's an odd choice. Because tape costs, at the time at least, cost so much money. Uh, £2.70 budgets. Yeah, that's why so much of, particularly in this era of Doctor Who, nothing really is filmed outside of the main set and not filmed mm. as as all filmed as live is because tape just cost a lot of money back then. Mm. Well, yeah, it, it does make sense when you put it like that. Just some very odd decisions get caused by that that just take you completely mm. out of it. 
uh, and the fight, the fighting in general, I wouldn't call it a fight to the death in any way that it was being tailed as. They're just sort no. of moving around with a kind of hug. It was like watching a YouTuber boxing match, but worse than that. <laughs> yeah. Like the support rounds for the YouTuber boxing match, maybe? <laughs> and, then, and then Barbara then essentially has... This is when, Barb, as I was saying before, Barbara gets strict with them all. Yeah, Barbara sort of stands up and says, no, stop this. And she uses what power she suddenly has to her advantage. And ho- holds up a knife towards the guys whose name we can't pronounce. Uh, yes. Up to, um, yep, say it again. I'm going to try it. Slotoxel. I'm going to go with Slotoxel, and I've probably got it wrong, but that's what I'm going to run with. Yeah. And this is where I just like Barbara throughout the whole episode, because she adapts to the situation very, very quickly and uses the knowledge that she has. Mm -hmm. And that's really impressive just from a character. She's adaptable, and that gives her a whole different dimension. I think she was starting to show it, particularly in Marius, I thought was the best she'd been, but this is way above. And also as well in... um... Edge of Destruction as well, because she was the one who sort of started to realise what was going on first. Mm. She is becoming very strong, and I'm starting to like, definitely Barbara and Ian. Susan, I'm still not sold, sold on, but there's potential there. I, this is probably going to be an unpopular take. I can see why she got, she was her first companion to leave. Yeah, you can see why she gets things, because she just... Do you know what she really does? Because she's so young, yeah, and they set it up like that, she ends up becoming a bit of a liability for the other characters. It yeah. always seems to be, oh god, Susan's here, or oh, we need to take care of Susan in this situation. And it kind of holds the narrative in a tighter lock when it yeah, would, she, might want to be freer. She always seems to be in the way. Yeah, that's exactly it. She's like a liability rather than an active character like Barbara and Ian are. E- even in this... It isn't helped by the fact that she wasn't around for middle two episodes in this story, though. True. But even in one and four, there's not. she doesn't do an awful lot. She's kind yeah. of... Barbara makes her a handmaiden to protect her. And, you know, in the final episode, she's basically going to be sentenced for not agreeing to marry some guy uh, yeah. by having her isn't a tongue pierced with a thorn, which is proportionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's very, it's very thronesy. So... Towards the end, then, because I think we've covered the main points, haven't we? In a very Mostly. even, even for us, we've gone all over the shot. Um, what did you think about the ending? It's it's one of those very suddenly neat in a bow endings that I think that I think a lot of these two episodes have had, where they're kind of like, yeah. oh God, we actually need to rush to the end here, and so they come up with a convenient way to just I, get it done. I think strangely, though, yes, that is true. But I feel like this one here pays off. I think it's well set up, more yeah. so than the other ones are, because of Ian being in the other costume. So that is actually a pretty good twister mm. I, when he's in there. Especially, especially compared to the Keys of Marius, where it was literally just like, oh no, we need to end this now. Yeah, and even Daleks to an extent, where everything seems yeah. tense, and then all of a sudden they figure out a way and they just turn them into bumper cars. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the way it was set up, and because they'd laid all of those parts in, particularly in episode four, quite nicely. Yeah. So when it happened, it was quick, sure, but it was quick because we'd already done that groundwork. 
so you could do it and get away with it. So it's it's a good bit of writing. It ends quite nicely, neatly, and doesn't feel mm. messy. And it's probably got the best thematic ending in the sense of Barbara gets kind of a lesson about time. Yes, I feel like Barbara got told off, essentially, didn't she, for trying to change things at all going pear-shaped? I wouldn't say told off. I would sort of say, look, I. it was more of like a, you can understand why, but this yeah. is just why that doesn't work. And that's okay, because you did save one person. So your efforts weren't for yeah. nothing, but you can't you can't achieve what you wanted to fully that way. Yeah. You can't mess around one with that person stuff. Can't, one person can't change the entire culture. Yeah. And one person shouldn't have that much power either. I think that's another key thing. I mean, it's been a key thing throughout yeah. Who that one person should never have too much power. But we just give it to a doctor. It, yeah. That's the idea. This is why I didn't like... Do you remember... I know this is a huge tangent, but I'm going to run with it because it's an interesting conversation. Do you remember in the Moffat days when they did season six... And they were doing that whole arc about um, the entire universe being at war with the Doctor or something. And there was like Madame Kavarian. My entire memory of season six is extraordinarily fussy. Fuzzy. It's it's the one with the silence and the astronaut and the lake. Oh, the silence just confused me. And that's where I started floating (laughs) off, I think. Yeah, I quite liked the silence. But they were always like a Weeping Angels rip-off, really. It was just like, well, how can I do the Weeping Angels again? Well done, yeah. Stephen. Uh, but yeah, they did like this whole arc where it was just like, oh, you know, the word doctor used to be a healing word, but now it means warrior because we're at war with you. You're too bad. It's like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Like, that's at the point where the doctor can have too much power and it affects the show badly. Mm. You have to have the doctor, I think, just as... Yeah, powerful, but responsible with it. Or, if you're going to do it, actually make him a twat, like they did with Tennant in Waters of Mars, when it really works. Yeah. Needs to be more witness, doesn't he, really, rather than interfering. Yeah, the Doctor doesn't work as an interferer, because I think it then it just looks like, oh, this lad really is gallivanting about. You have to put him in a position where he's powerful, but effectively powerless, and that's mm. where a lot of the good episodes work, is in between that. Yeah. So, going back on this episode, because we're massively overrun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, out of ten, what do you give it? I'm going to give it a seven. Nice, decent seven. I enjoyed it. I was going to give it an eight, which you is unusual, because you normally go higher than me. Yeah, yeah I do. I, I, I really nice enjoyed one. it. Yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed this like, one. The reason I give it a seven, before I ask you why you, you went a little higher... Yeah, uh, is that some bits of it are a bit unbelievable. Um, there are occasional bits where the pacing flags, like that fight scene. Um, mm. Sometimes as well, I think the script gets very bogged down in this kind of way the Aztecs would speak, which is what they've really just done, is gone, I'm just going to say sentences in ye olde English and, and yeah. have that as, well, they're from the past now. Just loads of sentences like, and so it was, let it be so. We are like, well, yeah. I'm lost. You're just saying words to sound posh. I I put it as eight purely because it kept me engaged all the way through. The pacing was was right for me. It did flake a little bit with the um, fighting, but other than that, I felt like it was all right. Oh yeah, I I agree with all your points. To be honest, 
I, I totally agree with everything you're saying about it. And I like the four yeah. episode pacing a lot. Yeah. So I think that's the end. I think that's the end of this extraordinarily all over the shop episode. I apologize <laughs> so much in advance. Not in advance, because you've already listened to it all. Yeah, you apologize, I apologize after so much. the fact. I apologize after fact by fact, which this has just... I know I know we normally go through weird paths, but this was on a different level. We were flying about, lads, but not to worry, because next week, we'll, I hope, will be slightly more on the beaten track, uh, because we will be doing the final episode of the first series and talking about our impressions of the whole series in general. Yeah, so that for you, though, will come out in two separate weeks. Yes, the reason I've said that is we're recording them on the same. <laughs> and, and then we're having a week. And then we're having a week off recording so we can have a break because we're both tired, as you can tell. Yes, we've we've both been very very busy with with other things. Um, Owen, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, yes. So remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts you can follow us on twitter at black archive pod and if you feel like getting in contact with the old-fashioned way you can email us at black at gmail.com your response will depend on which person is responding owen will be nice i might be more sarcastic <laughs> but you'll find out if you email it's like a lottery uh and if you don't know me uh, for doing the long drive I'll mention it again because I'm still running that dog into the ground uh, the long drive's available on Spotify as well it's like a radio drama and a film kind of all rolled in one it's a unique audio experience that you can go listen to whenever you like even if you're on a walk doing the laundry it's like a whole film for your ears so you can find that on my socials at James Makes Stuff so thank you very much for listening to us rambling quite literally in this episode it has actually been quite a nice episode, I think. So thank you for yeah, listening. <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. And we'll see you next week for more Black Archive. See ya. Congratulations. You've made it to the end of time. Well, just this episode, really. It's not that dramatic. But thanks very much for getting here. If you've liked what you heard, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Black Archive Pod or via email at blackarchivepod at gmail.com. And, of course, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>